May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, as you know, is Mothering Sunday, albeit a Mothering Sunday with a difference. For a start, there are none of you here in church with us, well, at least very few, and there are no bunches of flowers to bless and give out. All over the country, there will be doorstep visits rather than Mother's Day lunches. For many of us, this might be the first Mother's Day that we have ever spent without visiting our mother in some way. Even last year, Mothering Sunday fell the day before the first lockdown came into force. And of course, the dreadful death toll of the past year means that for far too many, this is the first Mothering Sunday since the loss of their mum. But then, of course, that is true of every year. Perhaps this year we are just more acutely aware of it. So without the dinners and the flowers in church, what are we to do with Mothering Sunday this year? Of course, the card aisles in the supermarkets have still been full of cards and gifts. I wonder if their sales have increased this year. But of course, Mothering Sunday isn't about commercialism. It really isn't. That developed later. Mothering Sunday is an age-old tradition stretching back to the Middle Ages, inspired by the lectionary readings of the time, which aren't the same ones we use today. And then, combined with the imaging of mothering, they used to use the Psalm 122 and the line, We will go into the house of the Lord, which led to the tradition of processions to the local mother church, which was usually understood as the cathedral. The practice developed over the centuries with people returning to their own mother church, whether that was the nearest cathedral or the big parish church, or perhaps the church of their own baptism. In 1644, there is apparently a reference to those who do this as having gone mothering. In later years, Mothering Sunday became the day when domestic servants were given a day off to allow them to visit their own mother church and usually their own mother at the same time, presumably made easier by the fact she still lived in the home parish and the child had gone away to find work. But Mothering Sunday, approaching what we now have today, was begun by the Mothering Sunday movement created by Constant Penswick Smith in response to the efforts of Anna Jarvis in America to create their own Mother's Day. The UK movement sought to highlight the different aspects of motherhood beyond that of the strictly biological. It highlighted the mother church, mothers of earthly homes, the mother of Jesus, and the gifts of Mother Earth. The cakes, the cards, the meals out and the flowers came later, influenced by the more American tradition. The American tradition that eventually disappointed its creator, Anna Jarvis, so much that she tried to get it stopped for being too commercial. It is perhaps telling that she herself never profited from Mother's Day, but the card and the gift industry were so pleased with the creation of it that they went on to pay for her funeral and burial. And so we turn to our readings for today. They might not be the same readings that they had in the medieval times that alluded to mothers, 
but our Old Testament reading and our Gospel both feature, appropriately, mothers, and very famous ones too. I'd like to look at them both for a little while. In the reading from 1 Samuel, we have part of the story of Hannah, mother of Samuel. Samuel, of course, who went on to be a great prophet in Israel and oversaw the change from the rule of judges to the rule of kings, anointing first Saul and then later David for the role. And then in our Gospel reading, we see Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, bereft and weeping at the foot of the cross. And straight away, we can see that there are two mothers of two sons, two sons who would both turn out to be important and influential figures in our faith. Now, Mary and Hannah have long been associated with one another, not least because Mary's famous song of praise, the Magnificat, has strong echoes from Hannah's own song of praise, which comes in the bit of the Bible that immediately follows our reading today. The allusions are so clear that many believe that Luke had Hannah very much in mind as he put his gospel together. And so we have two mothers, both who sing songs of praise, both mothers of important sons, and both mothers who in one way or another gave up their son for others, Mary losing Jesus to the cross, and Hannah dedicating Samuel and giving him to grow up in the temple under the care of Eli the priest. But what else? Well, this week when I look at Mary and Hannah, I see two women who had the audacity to produce children in ways that society struggled with. Mary, of course, the unmarried mother, possibly rescued from shame and even stoning only by the goodwill of Joseph. And Hannah, unable to bear children, a social stigma that marked her place in society as possibly punished by God and certainly at risk in the future of being an unsupported widow, a life of poverty and risk with no male to protect her. The passage before our reading in 1 Samuel today shows how Hannah's husband's other wife, who did have children, treated Hannah because of it. The experience of both of these women is not confined to the days of the past. Because like Hannah, women's reproductive systems are considered fair game and a topic of conversation. Hannah might well recognise the pain of every modern family gathering and having to fend off those questions from dear relatives. So when are you going to start having children, dear? Because not having children when you desperately want them is very, very painful indeed. And so if this is an issue that you have ever struggled with or are struggling with at the moment, perhaps Hannah is there in our readings for you today. Throughout history, and still today, women are judged and condemned for their reproductive systems, having children too young, too old, or simply not at all. And all the time, remembering that much of the reality of women's lived reproductive experience is too often regarded as taboo, something that campaigns around period poverty and access to sanitary protection as a right rather than a luxury 
attempt to address. But something else about the story of Hannah also resonates with the experience of many women today. In the passage before the one we read today, we see that Hannah has gone with her husband Elkanah and the rest of the family up to Shiloh for the annual sacrifice at the Temple of the Lord. Hannah, weeping as she comes yet again childless, as she has done year after year, presents herself in the temple before the Lord and weeps and prays and vows that if only God will allow her to have a male child, then she will give him to God to live in the temple forever. Eli, the male priest of the temple, is sitting near the door as she does this. We are told in 1 Samuel that she was weeping and praying silently, although her lips were moving. Her words for God, not for those around her. But Eli approaches her and reprimands her for making an exhibition of herself and accuses her of drunkenness. The experience of being silenced by a man, told that we are too emotional when we complain, that is the lived experience of far too many women today. There are expectations about how we should behave and to break them isn't usually very welcome. Women are often said to be too bossy or too shrill when a man doing the same thing might be described as strong or strident. And don't forget that in many parts of the world, women face physical punishment for crimes such as adultery, so defined whether or not they ever, ever gave consent to it in the first place. And of course, we hear much about honour killings. And it's all too easy to think that they only happen in other places. But sadly, there are estimated to be at least 12 so-called honour killings every year in the UK. And that's before you get to the figures of more everyday domestic violence. This year, Mothering Sunday feels different, not just because of Covid and closed churches, but because it shares a week with First International Women's Day with all of its coverage about the state of half of humanity around the globe. And then the shocking and heartbreaking news of Sarah Everard's murder. Staggering this week was the released statistic that 97% of young women in a survey said that they had been victims of sexual harassment. 97%. That's almost all of us. It's something that many women you talk to would be able to testify to. Or perhaps they wouldn't, because the same survey found that 96% of them had never reported it, and 46% said that it would make no difference even if they did. Of those who said that their experience was not serious enough to report, some had been groped, followed, or coerced into unwanted sexual activity. Not serious enough to report to the police. Fears about stigma and belief are rife. 
and in the House of Commons on Thursday, in a debate to mark International Women's Day, MP Jess Phillips, who is the Shadow Domestic Violence Secretary, said that society had just accepted dead women as one of those things, and that we have been obsessed with counting vaccines, but fail consistently to count dead women. The House fell silent, and I'm sure that I wasn't alone at home in weeping, as she then read out a list of women killed where a man had been charged or convicted. 118 names in the last year alone. 118. That's 118 women, each one someone's daughter, and all too often someone's mother. And there were, as well, sadly, several children alongside the names of their mothers who had also been killed. Someone's daughter, someone's mother. Now that is a sobering thing to reflect on this Mothering Sunday. Someone's daughter, someone's mother. Possibly forgotten and ignored by society. But each one, we believe, known and loved by God. But how easy is it to turn away because it's just too hard to bear to see the truth? Reverend Ruth preached only on Thursday about the need to face the realities that we would rather not see and to heed the prophets that shout, look at this, pay attention, and indeed to be prophets ourselves. And we read in that reading from Colossians this morning, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. As Christians, our business is love. Our purpose is love. Our task is to bear love into the places where there isn't any. We are all called into the one body says Paul. But if part of that body is suffering, then it is our duty to help, to speak out and to bring change, healing and fullness of life. Because until the day when women everywhere don't receive unwanted sexual comments from random men in the street, when women everywhere can walk the streets in the dark without being afraid, when women everywhere can go to work without being sexually harassed or discriminated against, until women everywhere can be sure of justice should a crime occur, there is not fullness of life. Our job is not done and God's kingdom has not come. Now, I do not intend to make out all women as victims and neither do I intend to make out all men as perpetrators. But every single one of us can play our part and take a look at ourselves and our attitudes and the attitudes of those who are around us and speak out whenever and wherever we find injustice and words that do not lead to fullness of life. As Paul goes on to say in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, 
if you see it, if you hear it, call it out. I do not and I cannot speak for all mothers. But instead of commercial flowers this Mothering Sunday, perhaps we might honour all mothers everywhere with the gift of change, the gift of the promise of change, so that all our daughters and all our granddaughters don't have to weep over statistics like the ones that I've talked of, and that their lives will be lived in full without blight of fear and violence. Amen.